Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're joined today by Nicholas Bratell. He's a composer, pianist, producer. He's recent. His most recent project is some an amazing film, uh, Steve McQueen's film Twelve Years a Slave." He's also worked on a number of other uh, narrative films as well as well as documentary films, including uh, the documentary "Haiti: Where Did the Money Go?" He also worked on "Half Life," "The Air Inside," "Plastic," and a number of other films. But we're here today to talk to him about this remarkable film and the collaboration that he was a part of with uh, director uh, Steve McQueen. Nicholas Bertel, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. Um, it is, uh, as I said, uh, it is a remarkable film. Um, uh, the uh, everything about it, the, the production, the acting, and your and your music as well. Tell me a little bit about your um, the, how you came to the project uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Absolutely, um, I uh, for the past few years have had a sort of running conversation about film music, uh, just in general, uh, with Jeremy Kleiner, uh, one of the producers of Twelve Years, and um, it was probably about eighteen months ago or so. Um, I had just finished scoring a movie called Gimme the Loot, uh, which uh, happily was uh, got into the Cannes Film Festival. So uh, by we the way, sort of having a by the way, uh, we had uh, it's, it's Adam Leon, right? I believe is. Oh, the, of course, absolutely. He was yeah. on. He was on. It was a terrific film. I really, really liked that movie a lot. So, go oh, ahead. thank you so yeah. much. You know, I'm glad you're. I didn't realize you were a part of it, but yeah, that is a really nice little movie. I really enjoyed. Oh, it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, that, I, I was. Uh, I was so happy to work with Adam on that. Adam's an amazing director. Um, and, uh, and when, when it got into Cannes, I remember having a conversation with Jeremy about that, and just, uh, film music in general. Um, and at the time he said he was, um, beginning to think about, uh, music on a movie that they were working on. Um, and he was saying that the, the movie actually had a lot of music that was in the world of the characters. You know, the, the main mm-hmm. character was a, was a violinist and, um, there was going to be a lot of music actually on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, you know, would you be interested in reading, script. I said, sure. So, you know, uh, to say, you know, <laughs> after reading the 12 years script when he sent it, you know, I said, uh, I'm happy to, <laughs> to think about anything <laughs> that yeah. you, you cool. like to talk about. I mean, I was, I was just blown away by it. And, um, you know, we talked about some ideas. I mean, the key, the key challenge was thinking about, you know, what was the sound of the 1840s, uh, in America? Um, you know, what would an African-American violinist from New York have played in 1841? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the sound of field songs and spirituals? Like, all, all really fascinating and challenging questions. Um, and uh, I had some ideas, um, and, uh, you know, I sent some ideas, and uh, Steve read my thoughts, and, uh, and uh, we started speaking, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and I was brought on to, uh, to, to write and arrange and conceive of all the uh, on-screen music. The interesting thing, I mean, the the challenge, obviously, uh, telling the story of Solomon uh, Northrup is um, that we didn't have recordings from that era. There's exactly. nothing, there's nothing, exactly. and so, and in fact, uh, and we'll talk in more depth about this, but particularly challenging, and, and it really sets the tone for the film at the very, very beginning, first thing we really hear is the, the, the song of My Lord, Sunshine, Sunrise, where you, you 
that that particular one was a particular challenge. But tell me yeah. a little bit about your sort of detective work. How you went about finding uh, what what the sound was like, what it would have sounded like, and and how you came uh, into to uh, you know writing in that style. Absolutely. Um, there were really two uh, directions to, to to think through. Uh, the one was the the string music and the fiddle music mm-hmm. of the era, mm-hmm. um, and the and then the other was uh, was the spiritual songs and the, the slave field songs. Um, so you know, I guess starting with the with the fiddle tunes, um, I really started first off with the book. Uh, you know, in the book, uh, Twelve Years a Slave, Solomon Northup talks about. Um, you know, occasionally he'll mention certain types of fiddle tunes that that he might have been asked to play. Um, there's even a little fiddle tune at the end of the book, uh, a sort of little reference uh, idea of a, of a tune that he that he played. And um, I started researching because at one point he talks about Virginia reels. This kind of what is a Virginia reel? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I used that really as a starting point to um, look through the history of of all of uh, American uh, you know folk fiddle music. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting uh, takeaways actually were that you know. It's so long ago, so like you were saying, there's no there's no recordings from 1841. Uh, you know, yeah. the earliest fiddle recordings we really start getting are sort of early 1900s, 1910, around there. Um, and, you know, when you think about how much music changes, even over short periods of time, you know, I mean, the difference, 30 years could be the difference between, you know, the peak of jazz and rock and roll or, or mm-hmm. the classical era to the romantic era of music. So, you know, I was very cognizant of, of uh, you know the the length of time between the the earliest recordings you might have in 1840s, um, you know, and I and I felt a, a sort of a real responsibility to to, to figure this out. So um, so yeah, so uh, you know, I, I went to the library and <laughs> read a lot of books and spoke with uh, you know a lot of uh, string players and got in touch with people who had some expertise in that uh, field. And uh, in particular, I, I brought onto the project an amazing violinist named Tim Fain. Uh, who I've collaborated with quite a bit in the past, and um, he's the violin. Uh, he's the violin sound of Chiwetel um, okay. in the film, uh, and I think he did a really beautiful job. Um, and Chiwetel did an amazing job too of of actually, you know, he he took violin lessons and he really learned uh, to 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 hold the violin to play some of these uh, tunes. So um, you know that was uh, that was an amazing that was an amazing undertaking on his part. Yeah, um, yeah. is and, it? Is that just as an aside? Isn't that the one yeah. of the one of the cooler things about working with artists in the, in the of that caliber? That when you yeah. see them in action and you see, I mean, I didn't know if he was playing it or not. I couldn't tell you by watching the film, but the, to know that someone you know is such a uh, a pro and also so dedicated to their craft that they can they can mimic Absolutely. it to the point where you can't tell. So it's cool. I just think yeah, it's a cool he thing. Really, yeah. He he worked so hard on that, and yeah. um, it was uh, yeah. I, I'm. I'm amazed watching it now, you know, um, at, at how seamlessly it all blends together. And people have said, oh, I really thought Chibatel was playing. And, and, you know, he, to some extent, I mean, he, he was, you know, uh, mimicking it very, very closely. So yeah. um, I think that's really a testament to, to how hard he worked and, um, and, and his talent at that. Sorry, um, I, I'm sorry I took you off track yeah. there. But anyway, so... Can, no, 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 no yeah, problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, no, so with the fiddle tunes, you know, it, was, um, it, it wasn't just the, the folk... Fiddle style itself too, but you know there were other, there are many other uh, uh, instrumental music scenes. You know there were some dance scenes. Yeah. There was a waltz. You know, and yeah. and it was interesting in each of these uh, scenes to not only conceive of the music, but to decide. You know, what did we want to do in those scenes? You know, what mm-hmm. what was the type of dance that might have been 
played at a masked ball in the South in, you know, 1848, you know, things like that. And, um, and I would say in each case, you know, I, I did a lot of research, and um, it was a combination of history, but also of, you know, I think artistic conception, because some of these answers are, are unknowable, you know, uh, and ultimately we have to do our best to, to meld the, the research with an artistic sensibility of what's, you know, what, what feels right and what's right for the film in, in those places. So uh, at the end of the day, I think Steve is really the person who, um, more than anybody else, um, had the, the, the instincts in all those cases of what, what was right, you know, and he had such an innate sense, I feel, of, um, of what would be powerful, of what would feel true, of what, um, of what was appropriate. You know, there was a lot of thought that he would put into of just the feeling uh, that, that we needed musically in certain scenes, and he did an amazing job of um, uh, crafting a sort of counterpoint between, you know, knowing that the fiddle tunes might feel very uplifting at certain times and, you know, marrying that with scenes of really terrible tragedy. And I think in certain cases the, the sort of horrible counterpoint between those things um, really comes across and makes those uh, makes certain of those scenes particularly heart-wrenching. Um, yeah. So the, the fiddle tunes, you know, that was um, some of those original songs that I wrote, uh, the waltzes and the dance music are original. Um, some of them are uh, actually tunes that, to the best of my ability, I, I actually think Solomon Northam might have played. So uh, you know, those are arrangements that I did uh, of certain of those tunes. Um, and uh, and then the spirituals are, you know, that that was a, that was a uh, I would say an even bigger undertaking to figure that out because um, you know whereas with fiddle music we actually there are some. Uh, you know, notations, uh, the, the fiddle music traditions, the Western traditions, so there's much more uh, sort of published music throughout history of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, with the spirituals, you know, in the 1840s, there were basically no uh, notated examples of the music. There were some lyrical examples of, of what lyrics might have been used, but it wasn't until many decades later, really Civil War, sort of post-Civil War era, that we started to get primary source text of people really... Um, uh, you know, putting together collections of uh, what they thought the, the the songs of the slaves were and how they thought it, you know, you could notate it. Um, the most fascinating thing of those, though, is that in pretty much all cases, the the people who tried to notate it wrote about how they didn't think they did a very good job and that they really weren't actually able to effectively notate the songs um, because of the complexities of the songs, because of the rhythmic uh, complexities because of uh, melodic uh, ingenuity, uh, because of the free-form nature of some of these songs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what, what I took away from that was um, that, you know, I could look at some of those examples as a starting point, but ultimately, you know, I feel it was, um, you know, we might imagine that the, the real sound of these songs was almost like a proto-blues or, you know, the, the mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. makings of what would become so much of our modern American traditions of jazz and blues. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the, the spiritual songs were heavily influenced by uh, many cultures, in particular, obviously, African uh, music and rhythms, um, uh, Creole, um, mm-hmm. certainly biblical mm-hmm. elements, church hymns. Um, so it's this fascinating art form, uh, really a, 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 a multi-layered blending of so many, uh, so many forces 
Um, and so, and, and synthesize yeah. and synthesizing into something unique. That's the exactly. I think that's uh, the exactly. beauty of this. I just before you go any further, Nicholas, I just want to remind sure, our listeners sure. that we're speaking with Nicholas Bertel. Uh He is the uh, writer composer uh, for uh, uh, the film Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, and uh, I want to let people know it's also uh, that you can get the soundtrack to the film. It's available in record stores, I assume Amazon and iTunes as well, to, to download and listen to it. And the reason I would encourage anyone to do that is just for the reasons that you're describing this. This is a window into an era, a world uh, that is uh, unavailable to us, really has been unavailable. And another rationale in my mind as a music fanatic is there it's it would be hard you'd be hard pressed to find um in all of the world maybe music that it could be more heartfelt and more more kind of grounded in a reality than people who are enslaved singing about their plight under the noses of the people who have enslaved them i i think that that is in and of itself contributes a layer of creativity an artistry that is just difficult to uh, to imagine. Absolutely, it was. Um, yeah. You know, there was. A, I, I felt a huge responsibility to 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 uh, you know research this as best as possible and yeah. to um, you know, like you were saying, you know, synthesize um, you know and, and put together my my own feelings about um, yeah. and imagining of what that might that sound might have been, yeah. and then meld that with all the research. And, and I would just add, you know. Um, uh, I wrote all of the on-screen music and all of the uh, and, and wrote and arranged all the fiddle tunes and everything, sort of the diegetic music. Right. Um, and then and Hans Zimmer did the uh, the gorgeous underscore gotcha. uh, for the film. Gotcha. You know, just so so my my role was very much actually. Um, you know, I came on uh, before the shoot and uh, worked during the shoot um, and uh, you mm-hmm. know figured out all the music that would appear in the world of the characters. Yeah. And um, and actually at the you know my my role. Pretty much finished actually around the the wrap, you know. Uh, by that time, all the the music that was in the world of the characters had been figured out, um, and uh, and then uh, you know, then Hans came on and and uh, wrote you know his his beautiful beautiful uh, yeah. score. And, so, and it and it is um, it re- it just it would to kind of um, let our listeners know. Uh, you spoke of uh, Steve McQueen and his role. It sounds like uh, he he must. Well, you tell me, was he uh, listening as was it a as a work in progress? Did you bounce things off him during it? Did you come to him with a fully, um, fully developed uh, song? H- how did this collaboration with uh, the director Steve McQueen work? You know, sort of on a day day to day basis because it sounds like that's how you were working. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a very very frequent close contact. Um, and uh, what was what was amazing, like I was saying about Steve, is he has such immediate instincts about what's right um and uh you know i i had a i got a very quick sense uh when i would bring him some of the ideas i had for certain scenes um whether they were right or not you know Mm -hmm. whether they whether they resonated with him and and what he wanted um and uh happily that (laughs) that did happen more often than not there were certain (laughs) cases where i think it was uh you know there were there were really fascinating artistic choices uh in certain places what we wanted um you know uh should what kind of dance you know should it be at Yarny's ball you know yeah. should it be a quadrille should it be a waltz and and in those cases you know it was very much um, there was always that question it's not it wasn't just about the music it wasn't just about the history it was also about you know what's going on in that scene that you know and yeah. what 
and what's the best dance that can feel uh, powerful for that scene. You know, what, so, you know, like in all these cases with film, it's the marrying of the, of the narrative and the, and the visual action with the, uh, with the music. So, yeah. Well, Nick, um, Nicholas, so that was particularly fascinating. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, be, the particular, and the film opens with a yep. song that um, is beautiful, um, and raw and emotional, and uh, really tells, begins to tell the story and, and um, uh, before we he- hear any dialogue to speak of, really just this, the opening, uh, I'll read the, uh, the, 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 the verse, if you will. When I was young, I saw the sun, too hot for me, too late for me, live or die, lay down and cry, hey boys, I'm tired, my lord, sunrise. Now, you, as I said, you sort of reversed engineered this particular song, as you did with a lot of these. Tell me a little bit about this particular song called My Lord Sunshine Sunrise. Absolutely. So, um, so that song, uh, that's an original song. Actually, I wrote all the lyrics and uh, and all the music. Um, and and I, I uh, what was what was most challenging about it was the. It's really in the category of of a spiritual work song, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, you know, in particular, uh, I couldn't find any examples of of notated work songs from from that era. Um, so the, there was some research in the early 20th century on uh, work songs. Um, so I studied the lyrics a lot um, and and attempted to get a sense of the of the rhythmic flow, mm-hmm. um, not only of of how the lyrics themselves would go, but also the songs. Typically, from from the best we can imagine, the songs had the sort of leader. Follower, mm-hmm. uh, there was almost a rhythm of the of the form of the song, you know. So there'd be a leader saying, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it's late, and then you know something like the the gang would say, you know, yes, sir, you know, that kind of a thing. Right, right. Um, so there was a kind of a back and a forth, and these songs were it was a, it was a real challenge to figure it out because um, you know this is it was functional music, yeah, um, yeah. and and interestingly, you know, throughout the history of civilization, most music. Was was really functional music, actually. You know, the idea of music just for sort of pure entertainment is, I think, a very modern one. Mm-hmm. You know, historically, music was really it served a purpose. It was to, to coordinate your movements, working. You know, mm-hmm. like sailors' jigs, or right. you know, uh, you know, and uh, or in, ser- in service or, in service yeah. to something else. Really, is what you're saying. Exactly. It was the songs. It was, you know. Exactly, it was really woven into mm-hmm. an activity, a yeah. part of life. Right. And um, and in this case. Um, the music needed to not only uh, reflect that era and the and the moment in these people's lives, but also had to literally coordinate to the movements of the chopping of the cane. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, uh, you know, um, I knew that the music had to be very, um, very sparse because you know certainly there were no instruments in the field uh, while they were working, mm-hmm. um, and uh, to the best of my knowledge, um, it harmonically. Um, it couldn't be too complicated just because I imagined, you know, when you're working, the focus is going to be on the work. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is, you know, you're not going to, the last thing you'd want the music to do is distract you <laughs> uh, from, from things. So, yeah. um, so it was a fusion of trying to figure out music that was raw and powerful. Um, but that would also match the activity. Amazing. Well, this, this is a remarkable film. This is a remarkable uh, on all all levels uh, as a production, as the the acting, the story itself, um, and a history lesson, and just so many other things. And the the music that you've added uh, as that it's a part of this film is beautiful. Uh, um, I uh, 
I, I, my congratulations to you. I, it's I'm, the Thank film. You. The film is getting a, a tremendous amount of notoriety and and notice as as it should. And I'm sure you're very proud of it. Um, I can't imagine you're not. And uh, congratulations on all of it. Thank you so much. I, I feel uh, I feel so truly honored to have been a part of it. Yeah. And, uh, well, and and all the best. I, I look forward to your other work. I mean, g- give me the loot. Heck, I mean, you got to do more indies too. Come on, I know I know you're going to be a wildly successful uh, uh, composer. And and don't forget where you thank came from. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, well, first of all, thank you so much. I mean, thank you for, for the kind words. And uh, you know, uh, and I I love uh, you know doing indie scores. And yeah, uh, um, I'm I'm you know I, I continue to work on. Any any movie, you know, I, I just love writing music for films and figuring out, uh, you know, the the sound world for for each story and 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 uh, you know what that entails. Well, well, thank you, Nicholas, so much for being here on Film School, and uh, all the best, all the best to uh, to the film. I'm sure it's going to get a, um, quite a few nominations for Academy Awards this year. So, uh, good luck to you. All right, thank you, thank you so much. Thanks, Nicholas. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.